Good morning. Yes. I'm a left-handed. <laughs> yeah, watch how you phrase that. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning service, Lexington Christian Church in Lexington, Indiana. Welcome to everyone out on the internet as well. Um, do we have any birthdays to celebrate today? Yes, Lynn. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. How about anniversaries? Doris and Everett. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary. announcements I was told to announce that there's some clothing back in the back um, good clothes some of it's new still got tags on it for the women's stuff and there's some men's stuff too I think suits, suits. Yeah. Um, once everyone to go through them take a look if you can use them take them or if you know someone who can take it yeah. to them Any other announcements, Ian, Kathy? I have a caravan of carrots. Mm. And they're actually really nice carrots. Stop, I ordered some clothes. Well, we don't like mean carrots. We like nice carrots. Thank you. Got nice carrots. Well, everybody start raising some rabbits, and you'll have plenty of food. Then you can cook the rabbits and put the carrots in there with it. Good. <laughs> Any other announcements? No one? All right, well, let's uh, start out our worship service with number 274, Morning Is Broken. Everyone, please stand.
prayer, please. Sure. <clears throat> Our Father in God, we praise you. You are so good to us. Even as the song we just sang said, every day you've made new. We've rested and as we sleep, it's almost symbolic of death. And then we resurrect to a new morning, a new day, a new opportunity to worship and serve you. And so here we are this morning, Lord. We come and we bow before you. We humble ourselves in your presence and we ask that you lift us up. Lord, may everything said and everything done bring glory and honor to your name. May your presence be magnified among us this morning. In Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Be seated, please. Okay, let's turn our hymnals to number 275, Because He Lives.
communion hymn will be number 253, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Communion meditation will be brought to us by Brother Bob. Meditation this morning is entitled Unity in Christ. Jesus knew his followers would be a lot like you and me. People from every background, every age group, every nationality, every generation. So before he was arrested, Jesus said a prayer for you and for me. I'd like to read that for you this morning from uh, John 17, verses 20 through 23. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you in me. <clears throat> Every year in October, over 1,100 high school students gather for the South Dakota All-State Choir and Orchestra Concert. It's an event many say is the largest of its kind in the United States. Here you will find over a thousand vocalists and 125 of the best orchestra players in the state putting on a performance so moving and so powerful you'd believe they'd practiced all year together just for this performance. But the truth is, they met together for the first time the day prior to the concert, and they pulled it all together. Wow. How did they do that? Well, for one thing, they all had the same score ahead of time, and they practiced from it. Is that enough to make 1,100 performers sound as if they were one? They'd tell you no. The key is in whom they trust to lead them. During the concert, you'll not see second violinists looking around at the first violinist to see what they're doing. You will not see the violas watching the cellos for cues and beats. No, it's all eyes on the conductor. Because they know that if they can stay in perfect synchronization with the conductor, they will be in perfect sync with each other. Jesus prayed three times in the prayer from John 17 for our unity just as he and the Father are unified. He tells us he did this so the world would know God had sent a Savior. We're not that different from the South Dakota high school students who meet together once a year. Yes, we meet once a week, but we too come from different backgrounds and bring different personalities and gifts. During this time when we share communion together, it's our chance to put aside the things that make us different and focus on the conductor because it's only by staying in sync with him, the one who is in perfect harmony with the Father that we can know the way to the Father. Have you noticed the uh, similarity in communion and come in union? As we take these emblems this morning let it be our prayer that as we get in sync with the conductor that we would be in perfect sync with each other and through our unity, our town would know, the world would know, that God has sent a Savior. Yes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come in union with one another and with you this morning, we ask that you would uplift us. We might not only take the word to our town, our community, our state, nation, but to all the world that all might know that you are the conductor, you are the leader, and you are our Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Bob. Let's take a moment to, to contemplate our partaking of the communion. Meditate one-on-one -on -one with God.
When Jesus met in the upper room with his disciples, they were together for their last Passover feast. Jesus took the bread, broke it, gave it to the apostles, and told them to eat, for this is my body that will be sacrificed for the remission of their sins. Let's all partake. In like manner, he took the juice, poured it out to the apostles, told them to drink this blood of, my, of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of all sins. Let's all partake. Let's stand for the doxology. do our next hymn I've got a little reading Uh, this just came to me this week a few different events that happened here and there and uh, then this showed up and I thought it's be good if each of us listened to this today and I know I, I can apply it some aspects of my life there's a woman who had written this I don't know who she was but uh, this is what she had, had copied down. It said, some years ago, my son called me on a Sunday morning and asked if he could go to church with us. Emphatically, I said, yes. I could barely hear him on the phone as he whispered, what should I wear? In the most loving way I could, I responded, whatever you want to wear. doesn't matter as long as you go to church with me. You see, my son hasn't been saved, and he would never go to church with me when I asked. He had long hair, scruffy beard, tattoos all the way down his arms, and even on his fingers. He rode to church with us that Sunday, and it was a day I'll never forget. He was wearing a long-sleeved button-down shirt to cover his tattoos because of the shame church people had made him feel. As my husband parked the car... The Lord spoke to me and said, when you go in, make sure your son sits between you and your best friend. Although I was a little puzzled at why the Lord would give me such instructions, I didn't question him. When we sat down, my son was beside her, and immediately she started loving on him the way she loves on everyone at church. She told him how awesome his tattoos were and asked who did them. When he told her that he had done them, she gasped, it made him feel, feel even more at ease as she told him what a wonderful artist he was. As the service started with the praise and worship, I heard the Lord speak to me again. Today, your son will be saved. Amen. 
when the preacher goes to the pulpit, your son will go down and be saved. I immediately started crying uncontrollably. I knew the Lord was about to answer years and years of pleading and praying for my son. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. When the preacher stepped behind the pulpit, he said, there's a young man here today that the Lord is speaking to. He wants you to do business with him right now. You need to come to the altar right now. I felt my son nudge me so he'd get out of the pew, and I grabbed my husband's arm, and we moved out of his way. This mama couldn't go to the altar with him. The altar was so far away from her at the time. All I could do was praise my sweet, sweet Lord for answering years and years of prayers. That day, my husband, my friend, and the preacher led my son to the Lord. That day, his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That day, all of heaven rejoiced. That day, I heard and I saw the Lord at work. I will eternally be grateful for a dear, dear friend that did not judge my son for the tattoos on his skin or the clothes he was wearing or the length of his hair but instead showed him the love of God that he had been searching for. So please, please, do not make people come to church feel ashamed for what yes. they're wearing, Amen. for the tattoos that they have, yep. for the piercings that they may have, or anything else you deem is inappropriate. The Lord sees them. You don't know how long a mama or a grandma or granddaddy, daddy or friend or anyone else had been praying for the salvation. Yes. The words you say can either draw them near to the Lord or push them away. I would hate to be the one who pushed someone away from the Lord because of the way I felt about their appearance. Mm. Amen. When God does a work on their heart, I promise you that you will see everything about them change. Let God do what he does. Yes. Your job is to love, not to condemn. Amen. If a prostitute comes in the church, she's probably going to dress like a prostitute until the Lord touches her and changes her. Yep. If a drunkard walks in the church, they may smell like alcohol until the Lord touches them and changes them. Yep. If a drug addict walks in the church, he or she may be high on drugs. Yep. Sinners are probably going to be living in sin when they walk in the church. Yep. Just... Love them to Jesus. I'm not saying you have to condone anything that is not of God, but you better watch how you treat them. The Lord sees and hears you. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to use, use a little bit of that uh, when I'm driving the bus. Yeah. All right. All right, let's get our next hymn number... Uh, 596, count your many blessings.
my turn. Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Oh, boy. You know, count your blessings. Well, let's see. had a nice, comfortable bed I slept in last night. And even though it was midnight or so before I went to sleep, I did sleep. (laughs) And uh, uh, temperature in my house was comfortable. Then I uh, got up and I had a nice, uh, nice restroom to go into and nice shower to take, hot water, cold water, uh, you know, clothes to put on. I mean, on and on and on, you know, every breath, every heartbeat, it's a gift. It's a gift. We forget it sometimes. All right. Well, uh, Brother Wayne, thank you for sharing that this morning. That's a very, uh, very good uh, story. And uh, I'm assuming that that is a true story. And I'm grateful for it because there is uh, a lot of that that happens in a lot of churches. Uh, This one mostly have not seen that problem. Uh, But from time to time, we have heard things, but most of the time this congregation is loving, is a loving group of people. And I've all, I've heard from most people that come here, they felt at home, they felt comfortable, they felt welcomed. And that's exactly what we want. All right, let's move on here in Mark chapter 6, and we're ready to begin here in verse 14, and goes to uh, verse 29, it looks like. So I'll read this, and then we'll come back and see about breaking it down. King Herod heard about this, that was uh, when Jesus sent the disciples out, and then they come back, and all the miracles and things that were happening, he heard about this. Uh, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, he has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard from heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportunity, uh, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. 
When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went outside to her mother. What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Oh, thank you all for standing for the word of the Lord. You can be seated. What a story, huh? Who says there's not murder and intrigue in the Bible? (laughs) Wow. So here we have someone holding a grudge. Someone who refuses to forgive. Someone who is holding on to that bitterness and that hatred. And that's living in their heart instead of love. Instead of God. Instead of goodness. When we hold a grudge like that. When we have unforgiveness. The Bible's very clear. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That is... That's just just tough, but that's a fact. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Brother Mitch says. That's what the Word of God says. And that one is a hard pill to swallow because if you've been through some things in life, man, I was molested as a child, but I have forgiven the one who did it. You see, I've learned... The secret to forgiveness. Number one is that all the evil things I did, (laughs) I have to point a finger at me and look in the mirror because the evil that was done to me, uh, that's not the only evil. My evil is there too. And when I came to Jesus and asked, boom, he forgave. It was gone. There's our example. He forgave. And it's gone. Second thing I've learned is, is that the evil that people do, you have to look beyond them and see the demon that's whispering in their ear and telling them to go ahead and do these things. When I sin, it's because I've let myself be influenced by the evil around me, by Demons speaking into my ear. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I just hear somebody say something that I just don't rub me the right way. And instantly the demon says, you should defend yourself. Get angry. And I'm sad to say that many, many times I give in to that one. (laughs) And I have to learn. That's just the devil. 
Jesus never acts that way towards us. When he's angry, he's angry. And yet, he can express himself without all of that hatred. He does it out of love. When we discipline our children, we should be doing it not out of aggravation, not out of being angry about what they've done, but out of love, correcting them so that they know they shouldn't do those things because it's against God and again, or maybe against the law in some cases. But here in this situation, King Herod, you know, uh, last couple of years we had the Christmas pageant and I got to play King Herod's part. You know, baby murderer, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not the ideal way to think of yourself, but it's a pageant and it's from scripture. It's true. But here, King Herod, he heard about the things that Jesus has been doing because he's become so well known throughout the region. Why? Well, let's see. Hmm. Anybody in here ever heard of uh, Benny? Uh, what is it, Benny Hinn? Benny Hanna? The healer? Benny Hinn? Anybody heard of him before? Yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's people over the years who come and through the power of God, maybe, sometimes, maybe not, <laughs> but you hear things that's going on. You hear things, and that gives them a, a level of notoriety just because they're doing something different from what everybody else has ever done or from what everybody expects to be done. As uh, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, I had never heard of him before until I read his book and was introduced actually by Herman, so I bought the book and read about his life, and... Uh, I bet a lot of people hated this man because he was so bold and so straightforward. I mean, you know, he'd been a plumber and ignorant. He literally, his wife taught him to read when he became a minister. After he became a minister, his wife taught him how to read. And he, one time, went into a funeral home. He never said anything to anybody he walked into the funeral home. He walked up to the casket. He grabbed the body out of the casket, stood him up, and said, Live in the name of Jesus. And he let go. <laughs> body falls to the ground. Picks him up again, stands him up. Live in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Guy starts coughing and walked out of there. That's just mind-blowing. Can that really happen? Yes, it can. God can do whatever God wants to do. And God told him to go and do that. He didn't ask permission. He just went and done it. So when Jesus was doing these things, people noticed. Wow, he's healing. 
He's healing. And because of that, people always wag their tongue. Some were saying, he's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's why all these miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, no, he's Elijah. Remember, Elijah did more miracles than anybody else. And still others claim he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, his conscience come into play. <laughs> and it's very clear there that this statement is made because of his conscience. He said, it is John the Baptist whom I beheaded. I had him killed and now I'm in trouble. He's come back. <laughs> I'm in real trouble now. Before he was just telling me it was illegal. But now he's got all these powers. I've got to be careful. But he was wrong. It was not John come back from the dead. It was Jesus, and they just could not fathom or accept that he is the living, incarnate God, the Son of God. They could not fathom that, and they could not accept it. Guess what? People still have that same problem today. They just cannot accept that Jesus is God in the flesh. That he is the son of God. That he can do these miraculous things. People have even harder time believing that Jesus gave men the ability to sometimes be able to do miraculous things too. Not that they themselves are doing it. But because they are so submitted to God and so in tune and walking with the Holy Spirit. That he uses them as vessels so that his work can be done. And many people today just say, Oh, that's not real. Oh, that's of the devil. I used to be one of those people, folks, that used to say that. You know what that's called in the Bible? When you attribute the work of God to the devil? It's called blasphemy. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I just could not accept that miracles could be done like that these days. Oh, then I met Herman. <laughs> it changed everything. <laughs> wow. At first, I didn't believe a lot of the things Herman said. Then he started showing me pictures of Dominguez, you know, the guy that came and his neck's all cut. And I was like, this is true. Wow. So the same attitude, that same mindset was in these people's minds too at that time. They just could not accept that Jesus was the Son of God. And then we're told the story about how Herod ended up having John the Baptist put to death. What a story. I mean, you think about this. First of all, there was John coming and constantly pointing the finger at King Herod. The king, folks. He's pointing the finger at King Herod and saying, you are living in sin. You, you have your brother's wife. That is not legal according to God's law. You must repent of that sin. You must correct that sin. 
And if you study a little bit, you find out that not only is she, was she the wife of Philip, his brother, but she's also their niece. So here, these two brothers both were married to their niece. What a mess. What a mess. No wonder, no wonder John the Baptist had such strong feelings about what they were doing and such boldness through the Holy Spirit to just point them out and say, you are living in sin. Stop it. Repent. You must change your life right now. Well, the king didn't like that, and since he had a, a, a position of authority, he just had him arrested. Now, that wasn't good enough for Herodias because here she's the one who's really the bad guy in all this. You've been with both of them, and you're their niece, and she just could not handle that guilt and that shame. You know the Holy Spirit comes on people and just makes them feel so convicted. And the usual response is anger. I'm going to get you. You, how dare you point out my sin? How dare you call me by what I really am? (laughs) And she, she was not satisfied with him being jailed. She wanted him dead. Sounds like the devil, doesn't it? So she's just waiting for an opportunity. She's got this hatred, this bitterness for John the Baptist, and she's just waiting till she gets the right opportunity, and then she's going to have him finished, done. And so comes a time when King Herod is throwing a big party, and he invites all the important people, you know, the people on the A-list, they say, <laughs> I've never been on one of those, so I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> uh, the people on the A-list, he invites them all over, and they all come, and they're having a big dinner, and they're having their wine, and their drinks, and they're having a big time, and, and then here comes Herodias's daughter, his niece's niece, or his niece's daughter. Uh, I don't know exactly how that would be in relation to him, but... Anyway, and we don't know, we're not told how old this young girl is, just said a young girl. She comes in and she dances. Now, folks, here's the thing. This is not common. A girl that's that close to the king is not supposed to be doing the performing. They're supposed to be sitting and watching the performance. So for them, that's why it says it was such a special treat. Because here she is, she's above the A-list, and she's doing the performing. She's the one who's entertaining the, the guest. And so King Herod is just really, really happy because here she comes up and, and she dances before them. Now, we don't know what kind of dance it was, uh, but... Whatever it was, it was entertainment, okay? That's what it was. It was a form of entertainment. And, of course, you've got to figure these men are all half drunk anyway by now, probably. And here this young girl gets out here, and she's putting on the show for him. 
And boy, are they happy. Mm. Sounds like some bars people go to. And King Herod was so happy that he forgot his brain. He was just totally disconnected from thinking altogether. Oh, that was so wonderful. What can I do for you? Up to half my kingdom. You know, that would have been all he'd had to say for me. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Which half is mine? <laughs> but not, not this girl. This girl, she runs to her mommy and says, Mommy, what should I ask for? Now, you think about this, folks. Would any of you tell your daughter to ask for the head of somebody? I mean, just think about that bitterness and that hatred. And think about that. When they come back and hand the head of John the Baptist on a platter to this young girl, she's sitting there holding this head and smiling. Look what I did, mommy. Look what I did. Can you imagine how that young girl grew up? I pray that God changed her heart because after that, what's left? You already murdered somebody or had it done. And so here, she finally got her opportunity. Herodias finally got her opportunity to end the mouth of God. That's really what it boiled down to. You know, this may even be where the uh, origin of don't kill the messenger comes from. Because <laughs> that's exactly what they did. He was a messenger for God. And she couldn't wait to shut him up permanently. And then when this came... She couldn't think of anything else. She couldn't think of a way of blessing her daughter by saying, ask for this or ask for that so that you can, you know, have a, uh, ask for a million dollars, ask for a bunch of gold, ask, you know. No, she wasn't thinking of her daughter. She was thinking of herself, her selfishness. Bitterness and hatred brings selfishness. That's all she could think about. I want his head. And so she tells her daughter, well, now it's my opportunity, and I'm going to use you to get it. I'm going to use your opportunity to get what I want. She was a politician, after all. <laughs> a queen. If he's king, she's queen. Wow. What a thing to do to your daughter. Now, when she asked, Herod at least had the sense to not really want to do it. But he had already opened his mouth that wasn't connected to his brain. He had already made an oath before all of these guests. He's got all these witnesses. He has to keep his word. Or he loses his credibility. He has trapped himself. 
the snare of the devil, folks, often he uses our own mouth to snare us. You can speak life or you can speak death. We need to be cautious and make sure that our tongue is controlled by our heart and our brain. I know I don't always do that myself. But it's a lesson in here for us all to learn. And so there are other things here. Like, you know, afterwards the disciples find out and they come and they take his body, his headless body, and put it in a tomb. Now, I want to point out a few things here that show a correlation between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God has come. When he got arrested, Jesus began his ministry, his public ministry, and the first things that he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist When the Holy Spirit gave him the utterance to speak, he spoke boldly the truth and pointed out people's sins. In this case, even the king. Jesus spoke to the higher-ups, the Sanhedrin, and told them of their sin. He even went into the temple and turned over the money tables and chastised those people. He's boldly proclaiming the truth and showing a way of bringing cleansing and purity. The same thing. Then John the Baptist was arrested because of his preaching. Jesus was arrested because of his preaching. John the Baptist was put to death ultimately because of telling the truth. Jesus was put to death. Why? For telling the truth. And then the disciples came and took his body and put it in a tomb. When Jesus was, after he had left his body hanging on the cross, the disciples came, took his body down, and put it in a tomb. So we see there's a lot of things here in these two stories that are we're able to compare and contrast because there are differences but it shows that John the Baptist was a type of Christ he was a type of Christ and if we are going to be a type of Christ if we are going to be representatives ambassadors for Christ We need to learn, first of all, what his word says. We need the word in us. That's where it says, eat and drink me. We consume him. We're taking him in. He is the living word. He's the logos, the living word. We take him in as we read his word, as we learn and we grow. And the more that we have it here, especially here 
in our heart, the more usable we are. Now, let me just give you a, a comparison, a parable, if you will, that we can understand. You take someone who, is, who has a goal to become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Let me ask you something. Do you think that the hiring crew for that job is going to drive around the, the city streets and look for a bum to fill that position? I don't think so. They're going to be looking for someone who's educated, someone who's educated with certain qualities, someone who is distinguished, someone who can represent their company well, someone who can not just, not just look good, but speak well, who can represent with facts, who can lead this company forward into the future, not someone who's just going to sit there and be, yes, yes, okay, yes. <laughs> okay, so if it's that significant to be trained and to know things to lead a Fortune 500 company, how much more important is it to be trained to lead someone to the kingdom of God? It's so much more than a Fortune 500 company. Am I saying we need to go to college? No, wouldn't hurt. But you do need to get into the Word so the Word can get into you. The more we have of the Word in us, the more the Holy Spirit can use us to speak His words. Not our words, His words. Just like John the Baptist. With boldness pointing out what people's sins are and then offering them Jesus as a way of cleansing and forgiving for those sins. We have the most important job on the planet. We are ambassadors for Christ. You think about that. When you see ambassadors on the news, do they look like bums? Do they talk like they're alcoholics or drug addicts? I mean, come on, folks. We can only do what we can do, but Jesus makes us the best us we can be when we allow him, when we listen to him, when we obey him. And I knew a guy one time who stuttered so bad that he could barely speak. God called him into ministry. And he said, what? He couldn't believe it. He was just shocked. How can I? You know, that's his thought. How can I? And God said, who made your tongue? I will loose it. From that moment on, he never stuttered again. Ever. He was just shocked and amazed and so happy. And he became a very good minister for Jesus Christ. Won a lot of souls. 
Those he calls, he equips. You don't have to be equipped first. He does it. He does it. If we look at how Jesus preached, how he shared his love, his message to the world, if we look at how John the Baptist preached, how he shared the love of God and the message of God, if we look to the apostles, Peter, Paul, James, John, if we look at them and see how they preached and how they shared the love of God with the world, and then we look at ourselves, how do we match up? Don't say, but I'm not an apostle. Yes, you are. (laughs) An apostle, the original word apostle in the original language, all it means is one who is sent. What did God say? Go and make disciples. You are apostles in that sense. We are all apostles. We're sent. Oh, but they were disciples. You are too. A disciple is just one who is taught. And you're taught. Some of us may be more taught than others, but we all know Jesus. And that is all we have to share is Jesus and what he's done for us. And live it before people so they can see that it is real. So if, that, if we do that examination, how are we doing? If you have a need this morning, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Wayne. Our hymn of invitation will be number 334, There is Power in the Blood. Let's all stand. Should you have a need, please come forward and see us. Would you be
Amen. It is so good to see these babies here today. Amen. It's just like new life in the church, isn't it? Brother Mitch, you have anything else you want to add? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, we have Bible study tonight, 5 o'clock. Amen. And I think we've covered all the announcements. What did Daniel tell his real estate agent? <laughs> I prefer a house without, with no debt. And Brother Mitch, would you take us home? Sure. Word of prayer. Sure. You know, what Jim's talking about, when we go and we see a need, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to serve the Lord. And the best way to serve the Lord is to serve others. Yeah, Love your neighbor as yourself, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yes, we, we should, when we, when we see that, we should in our hearts expect the best result. But be prepared for the worst <clears throat> result. In other words, don't let one bad experience stop you from continuing to do the work of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your many, many blessings. Thank you for your word. Lord, there's so many things in your word that we often miss, we overlook. Forgive us, Lord. Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to understand. You, you, you open the eyes, the minds, the understanding of your disciples from time to time. It says very clearly, you opened their understanding. So I'm asking you, open ours and help us to grow and to use it for your glory. As we go, we go with you. You go with us. Help us to remain focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God be with us all till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. Have a great afternoon.